this fucking guy. We should introduce ourselves and then tell people what we're doing. What's happening here? What is happening? What is, what is happening? We don't know. I, I never know. <laughs> this is after such a bad start already. <laughs> it's our brand. <laughs> Off to a bad start. That's pew pew. Name of our novel. Yes. Our dual memoir. <laughs> We're so good at this. We haven't learned shit. We've done like four podcasts and none of them have been successful. I don't know why this will be different, but we'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) We're so bad at this. Um, Okay, so the beauty of this is that editing. (laughs) Yes, it's going to come together in post. It's going to be great. Fix it in post. Just a motto of life, fix it in post. It's going to be fine. Do we want to do a take two? Yeah, yeah. Let's do a take two with, like, and we'll say who we are and what our podcast is. And if we have to fill any blanks in later, we can do that, too. We're not on a timeline. Mm -hmm. We have managers. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, because I've had quite enough of mine. What's up? Ooh, um, lord. Okay, so welcome to this fucking guy. I'm Caitlin Corsetti. And I'm Carmen Harbor, and that was my dog shaking. And we are two best friends. We don't live in the same state anymore. We live so far apart. So far. Uh, it's offensive, honestly. It's really gross. Um, but they come so, together to share um, crazy historical stories. Yes. And we, I think, that, I mean, we've been trying to find, like, the podcast that we were going to make, that we were destined to make. Yes. And I think, like, we since we have, we have a lot of similar interests, but we have a lot of not similar interests, like... I love murder stories. I don't like that. But we both like history and weirdos. And we both like to talk. So we were like, let's talk about some fucking weirdos throughout history. Gender is a construct. Guy is not actual men or you know, male identifying people throughout history. It could be anybody. It's just this fucking guy is a cool phrase that is fun to say. So, however, this first episode is about dudes. Yeah, it's about two fucking guys who are batshit bonkers. Cray cray. I mean, they're ridiculous. I'm really excited. Um, I even don't remember the person that you chose. Oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> Um, and my guy, I don't think you really know anything about, I, as I was diving into this story, I was like, holy shit, why don't, excuse you, excuse the popo technical difficulties, dear, dear listener, (laughs) a lot of popo difficulties. Yes, we have very, I wouldn't describe them as needy. 
I would describe them as just dogs that are very involved in our lives. Right, right, right. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, they're just real involved in whatever we're doing. They're really in the mix. And, like, no spatial awareness. Um, None. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Between the two of us, we have five Mm-hmm. And that does not include our husbands. And they are not small animals. No, we are big old puppos. Mm, love them, but they cry. <laughs> big old puppos. If you like mm. dogs, tell us. Yeah. Hit us up on our social channels that don't exist yet. They will. It'll. I'll just do a little bloop insert. <laughs> yeah. I do have the Instagram. It's this fucking guy pod. Yay! I just don't have literally anything else. So tell us if you like dogs at that address. With no posts on it. Zero. By the time this gets posted, there will be things. Yes. Possibly. Uh, allegedly. It's it's a strong possibility, but I'm going to say possibility. It's a start. <laughs> you know what? We We set goals. We may achieve them. We don't know. I like to ha- have a low bar. Yes. So that, you know, if we achieve it, great. Mm-hmm. If we don't, that's okay. Mm-hmm. So much of life is disappointments. It's, we don't need to add more. It's true. We're, we're realists over here at this fucking guy. So um, real. So, Carmen, what do you, who, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I am totally open to whatever you want to do but since this was this podcast came out of your brain place kick it off okay i'm really excited about this i'm so excited because i I totally don't remember who you told me you were doing i am going to tell you the story of mango king of the pickles i'm sorry what now (laughs) what words what words did you just say none of those things go together You just said three or four words that I don't think I've ever heard in conjunction with one another before. So I'm pulling up my notes. (laughs) Okay. So like just to recap for our listeners, not for me, because I totally heard you. You said mango, the pickle king. King of the pickles. Oh, sorry. King of the pickles. So sorry. So sorry. Um, and I'm I, glad we could clarify that for our listeners. I wish that I had some resolve for you, but like, you're not going to find out the origin of this nickname until like the end, because just like this person, it doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't, I don't know what I still don't after all of my research there it just it's not logical it doesn't make sense um but i'm going to tell you about mango king of the pickles we'll get to that name later yeah it already defies story structure so we're already up yeah we're just like you know breaking the mold of podcasting right we're Uh, taking like a memento type path oh yes i like (laughs) (laughs) um mango king of the pickles aka mad jack sure which was his more popular nickname, mm-hmm. a.k.a. John Mitten. Uh, okay. I already have, like, 37 questions, but yeah. go on. You can ask as many questions as you want. So John Mitten, it's spelled M-Y-T-T-O-N, so not, like, hand mittens, mm-hmm. although I think that's a fun visual. Yeah. Um, he was born in 1796. 
in a place in England called Halston near Austria. Sure. Yep. Um, sure. Okay, his family were Shropshire squires. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, like, times I love that their uh, occupation rhymes. It rhymes. It rhymes. And I, I didn't quite know what like a squire was. Um, so a squire is or at the time back in 1976, they carried the knight's armor and like ran errands for knights. So they're like knight personal assistants, which is like kind of fun, you know, like I was thinking of what a squire's to do list would be. And it's like, Oh, gotta go to the blacksmith and like grab some mead. And you know, that would be like kind of fun. Also real fun is that you said 1976. So I'm thinking of a real disco squire also (laughs) that they're just jamming to the Bee Gees while they're picking up metal shit. That's better. (laughs) I really enjoy this path. I know that it's not the one we're on, but it was just a little fun side journey. That's right. That movie. So I like to think of his family's occupation. We're basically like in a night's tale. Um, like all of Heath Ledger's, but yes. Okay. I, I can't, I'm, I'm with you on this. Yeah. Okay. So, Hey, get out of there. No. Um, okay. So his dad died when he was only two, which sad, but as a child, he was described as boisterous, which is like a really nice way of saying terror. Um, he had all sisters and his mom was like, I can't deal with you. Like he was basically a little demon child. Um, yes. Uh, so when he got older, um, he got sent to the Westminster school, which was like super prestigious. And I looked up when the Westminster school was founded, it was founded in the 14th century, which I was like that number. I don't understand that. I don't, these dates are so far away. Like how, I just, like, how do you, how, how, what, I don't, I don't. How did a building stay up for 300 plus years? So many years. That's so long. Like they got a lot of weather in England. So much weather. They have so much inclement weather. Not like that stuff was insulated properly. Yeah, I feel like it was probably very drafty. Super drafty. Oh my god, it must have been, and damp. Oh, so damp. Um, And like, real low ceilings. Oh yeah, like a dungeon. Yeah, like no open concept in sight. Went to school in a dungeon. Um, But that's okay. He was only at this first school that he went to. Excuse me. How many bark breaks are we going to have to take? So many, because Jobin's now getting into it. Laura, stop. Stop. Come here. So, um, he was only at the Westminster School for a year before he got expelled for fighting the teachers. Like, <gasps> fighting the teachers as a child. Oh, yes. Every child's dream. Right? Okay. Ugh. Oh. Then he got sent to this other school called the Harrow School. And he got expelled after three days. What? What? Three days at a new school and he already got expelled. His poor mom was like, 
<laughs> what? I gave birth to Damien. Like, what the fuck? How? What? What age are we talking about? It. I, nothing specified, but I'm assuming like, like at least double digits. Okay. Not quite teenager. But again, at that time, like you, like we're done with college when you were like 15. Sure. You know. So, and there wasn't a lot of detail on what year this was. Um, but I can't imagine he was that old. He was definitely old enough to know the difference between right and wrong. And he just didn't care. Are we right to assume Mango? Yes. Uh, may I call you Mango? Sure. Uh, was probably a big motherfucker. Oh, one billion percent. Okay, great, 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 great. He's like, when I think of this fucking guy, he's like the epitome of Got this it. guy. Like, he's probably like big and beefy. Oh, yeah. I actually okay. don't know what he looked like. Um, I think there's a portrait somewhere, but I couldn't dig it up. Um, I will try to find it before we post this episode. I feel like um, we should just roll with big and beefy. Big and beefy. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of thinking like, um, like a cronk type. Great visual. Yes. Yeah, just crunk. Just very um, triangular. Triangular and like thick neck. Oh, yes. Like can barely turn it. And then like with one of those old tiny wigs with like. <laughs> I fully support this vision. We are probably so wrong. Yeah, he's probably like real small, like Napoleon complex style. He probably is the guy who plays the Duke of Sandringham in, or not the Duke, the other guy, King Charles in Outlander. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, that guy's so creepy. Yes. Ooh. Okay, so um, so he got expelled from the second school, So, um, but he needed uh, an education because since his father had died and he was the only male heir, he was going to be prepped to, like, take over the estate. So... His mom was like, you're getting homeschooled. So she brought in all of these different tutors. And he, the word was tortured these tutors, like playing extreme pranks on them. He just didn't give a fuck about education. He did not care. And he did everything he could to just fuck with these people. He went so far as to put a horse into one of the tutor's bedrooms in the middle of the night and, like, locked the horse in the room with this person, which is very dangerous to do. Yeah. You know what? I'm gonna... I'm gonna call it this person's fault. And here's why. Okay. If you're in Sleepy Town... Yes. And you don't hear a motherfucking horse coming up in your shit you you brought this on yourself okay you may have brought somebody bringing a horse up in your bedchamber on yourself counterpoint sure i'm I'm open to hearing it (laughs) when i'm out i am out it takes like a goddamn act of congress to get me out of bed Sure, 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 sure. I feel like you would still hear a straight-up horse, though. I hear a horse. I, it's unclear. (laughs) Um, I've never had a horse in my bedroom. (laughs) Episode two, we test this theory. Okay, yeah. I mean, I've had, I have three dogs currently. I've had them jump on me while I was sleeping and didn't wake up. 
Okay. Okay. But was on a lot of drugs. So. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I mean, we're going to have to Mythbusters style this whole thing. Oh, yeah. So eventually, I guess he like passed his classes, but I'm pretty sure like the curriculum at the time was like, can you read? Great. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think it was very strict. Um, but this guy, like he was the guy that everyone was like, he's definitely not going to graduate. But this fucker gets into Cambridge. I feel like you just told me that Matthew McConaughey's character from Days and Confused went to Harvard. That's exactly what I said. That's what I feel like you just told me. Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, he... (laughs) Now, think about when you went to college and things that you packed, right? Clothes, you get your textbooks, stuff for your dorm, whatever. Now, I don't know what Cambridge was like back in the day. However, I do know that you do not need to bring 2,000 bottles of port on move-in day. Well, that depends on what kind of time you're aiming to have. That's true. That is true. He shows up at his first day of Cambridge with 2,000 bottles of port, and that's Mm -hmm. it. That's all he brought. Um, And then day one, got fucking bored, and he was like, not for me. So he decides to leave and go on what they call a grand tour, which is like the old timey version of a gap year for people. So basically they just like go around gallivanting about Europe on horses and doing who knows what, um, doing doing white people shit. Right. And this is like, this is mango King of pickles, like Jesus time period where there's like no information about it. And we don't know what he was doing. Should we wildly speculate? Yes. Wildly speculate away. Oh, he got really into carpentry. Ooh, I don't think so because he was completely useless upon his return. Oh, cool. 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 Um, he had a pet peacock. Maybe. That seems possible. Um, um, get to his animal collection in a little bit. Peacocks weren't mentioned, but that's not to say he didn't own at one point a peacock on his grand tour. Like, ooh, like a cute little peacock in tow just mm-hmm. alongside his cool. horse. Cool, cool, cool. Um, maybe he slayed some dragons. I don't know. Don't know. He could have found treasure. Treasure. Could've so much treasure. Could have. Um, we, we don't know. We don't know. So he goes on this gap year and he comes back. Okay, so he comes back and um, I guess he was finally old enough to inherit everything. And because patriarchy, the sisters couldn't inherit anything. Um, so he just got his dad's seat at um, what they called Halston Hall, which I guess was like the town council. Sure. It kind of sounds like Charleston to you. Sure. And he also inherited his dad's income. So um, the spot at Houston Hall was worth 60,000 pounds a year at the time. So do you want to take a guess at how much that That's is? That's so many monies in old times. Yes. in old. I'm going to say that that's several million dollars. It is a casual seven million American dollars. That's too many monies for this idiot to have. It's the, and you're right. You are absolutely correct. 
But on top of that, he was also bringing in an additional 10,000 pounds a year from tenants and whatever was grown or done on the 132,000 acres of the estate. So they had different tenants and farmers and shit and whatever. So from that, he was raking in over a million dollars in American monies today for not even doing anything at all, which is like classic white dude. Yeah, so like most like well-to-do white dudes who did not earn their money, I'm yeah. going to guess he spent it super responsibly. Yeah, he was so responsible and like never did anything wrong and like was totally chill. Yeah. Yeah, so in between this time, he um he did decide to serve in the military for like a hot sec. Was shit even popping off then? Uh I don't know, but he joined because he liked the uniform. <gasps> oh, I can get behind that. I can get behind that. So, um, while he was in the military, so he was around 21 at this point, they speculate. So while he was in the military, he got like super into gambling and drinking. Uh-huh. Yes. And around this time is when he earned the nickname Mad Jack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So according to um, this guy, Carl Shaw, who wrote Curing Hiccups with Small Fires, which we'll get to, a delightful miscellany of great British eccentrics, quote, by his mid-20s, he was drinking six bottles of vintage port a day, the first while he was shaving before breakfast. Later, it was reported that he averaged eight bottles of port per day and then also drank a bunch of brandy on top of it. So just a real class act. Correct. Like, can you imagine? Like, these days I have a glass of wine and I'm like, ooh. Can I would die. Drinking bottles of brandy. No, I would having die. A, having a bottle of port before <laughs> breakfast. Ooh. I don't know what port is really supposed to taste like. Can you stop? Also, they didn't have doctors. Right. Like, so just like cash throwing back eight bottles of booze a day. Just like, fuck it, I'm on a diet for a day. Just yeah. really like living it up. I mean, I just, it's like waking up in the morning and just grabbing a bottle of Merlot, I guess. Ugh. That's That's what I imagine, like, port would be. Oh, God, that sounds horrific. I know. And then all day. Mm. If you keep drinking, then it just... And we'll get get to what he does. So, all right. So, Mad Jack went to, like, party school. Yeah. But, like, without the school part. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, fully. Without the school part. Not for me. (laughs) So, believe it or not, he married twice. What? Twice, and then also fathered, I think, six children. Um, so, I'm not sure which wife had to deal with the most of his shenanigans, but one of them um, had to deal with him throwing some absolutely batshit insane dinner parties. Oh, now, my God. I bet those were lit. Yeah, so imagine, like, when I, imagine throwing a dinner party and then not telling Kyle that, A, how many people were coming over, Mm -hmm. 
be how long the dinner party was going to last sure. and see what even was happening. Oh, yeah. I'm sure my husband would super appreciate uh, just a rager that's yeah. endless. Like a, a several day rager. So he would... He would have these, he would invite a bunch of people over. The wife would like not know she couldn't prepare properly. Um, She wouldn't know how long these parties would last. Sometimes they lasted for like three or four days. What the fuck? Like I'm ready to leave a dinner party after a couple hours. Like I don't want to be there for days. But I mean, like old timey life was probably boring as shit. I could see kicking in a rager for three days. Like what the fuck else you got to do? Yeah, what, like, play that rock game or yeah. or something? Fucking play, play a goddamn harp? What the fuck else do you have to do? Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So, um, he also had the tendency to prank his guests. Um, and when I say prank, I mean pull very dangerous stunts that put his guests' lives in danger. Mm-hmm. I like to imagine him as kind of like an old-timey, uh, like, the who's the lead guy from Rocky Horror Picture Show? Oh, Dr. Frankenfurter? Yeah, so, like, <laughs> just, oh, what can I do to make these people have the worst time? Wow! One of the stunts that he did was everyone's having dinner, and he leaves for a hot sec, and he comes back into the dining room riding a motherfucking bear. Um, now, okay, okay. There's a lot to unpack here. A lot to unpack. A lot to unpack. Where did he get the bear? What kind of bear? Was the bear drugged? Maybe, actually, strike that. Don't want to know that one. Um... How long did the execution of this take? Uh, The mind boggles. Now, I have have minor details. Yes, I need even the even the most minor would be amazing. I had these questions too, like how do you even acquire a bear? But uh, apparently, he uh, this was his pet bear. Some sources say it was his pet bear named Nell. Sure which is real cute. No further details on that. Oh, Um, cool. Apparently he rides the bear into the dining room, scares the fuck out of everybody. And he was on it long enough for it to um, freak out and it bit his leg and like threw him off. And then it attacked one of his servants. There was no information on if this servant survived or if anyone else was injured or what happened to the bear. Um, I'm going to say servant definitely dead. dead. Probably dead. Can you imagine, though, like being at a dinner party and you're like, "Ooh, this is a nice biscuit. And then all of a sudden a fucking bear comes in. Yeah. No, I can't. What would you do? I truly can't imagine that scenario. I can't imagine even encountering a bear in general. No. Not to mention at a dinner party. And I live in a place where there's bears. You've got bears all, all over the fucking place. Colorado got goddamn bears everywhere. Yeah. So And I would straight up shit myself if I saw a bear. Yes. And apparently this is a thing that he did. To put into perspective how 
really bad his gambling addiction got in 1826. He won a bet by riding his horse into a hotel lobby and then riding it up the stairs onto the balcony and then leaping over the people uh, dining below through a window and onto the street just for fun. Just for funsies. Like a casual fun Good old Mad Jack's really got a thing for horse-based pranks. Yeah, lots of horse-based pranks. Um, he also liked to just see how much shit he could do without getting hurt, which, like, does not bode well ever. Um, he would go fox hunting in the winter completely naked just to, like, see if he could get frostbite or not. Sure. Don't know how many toes he had at the end of his life. Or dicks. Probably zero. Unclear. Um, so one time he, this is another horse face prank. One time he took a horse-drawn carriage and tried to jump over a toll gate with it just to see what would happen. Now, what happened was it didn't work. The horse got injured. He got injured. And the carriage was completely destroyed. Huh. Yep. And sometimes he liked to go up to random children in the town give them money to roll down a hill. Sure. What would happen to them? Like a fucking psychopath. Sure. I mean, if I, I feel like if I was a benevolent rich person, I may pay shitty kids to do stuff (laughs) where there's a possibility they could get injured. Right. And I mean, again, lots of limited details. Don't know how big these hills were. Were they covered in rocks? Were there briar patches? I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm gonna say just from the details you've given me about this dude that there's a high likelihood of these children getting injured. Yeah. You know, we love dogs. Oh, yes. Um, love them so fucking much. So much. I mean, the dream definitely is to have, like, all the dogs. Oh, uh, um, yes. Do you want to take a guess at how many dogs Mad Jack, a.k.a. Mango King of Pickles, I don't know because I'm really concerned about the high amount of things that endanger animals. Yes. Um, Well, this fucking guy, Carmen, had 2,000 pounds. Oh, Jesus. I'm real concerned. I'm real concerned about these animals. 2,000 pounds and like a fuck ton of cats that he apparently dressed in silk outfits. Oh, yes. Okay, but he, these were his hunting dogs, and he fed them steak, which totally fine, and champagne, which is very bad. You, this is a PSA, do not give your dogs alcohol. Even if it's their birthday, guys, don't do it. They, but like, these were his hunting dogs, so I've just like imagined him, like, one drunk dumbass, and then like all these drunk dogs right just a fucking fleet of just smash dogs the horn sounds and then just stumbles a whole field of stumbles and i don't know if he ever caught anything that's probably a no no i'm just gonna venture a guess that somebody would like take a deer out that they had shot yesterday and be like oh my god you did it you how you do that you're so good oh here's another bear oh my god you is so good at hunting the dogs are fighting over my underwear hang on (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, pop-ups, not cool. Pop-up, right? In 1819, I just want to make sure my chronology is correct. Yeah, are we getting to the whole mangoes and pickles deal? We will get. Are we anywhere close to this? We're like almost there. Oh, this is going to be a great reveal, I feel. Okay, so that was, so I just told you about him riding the horse into the lobby was about 1826, but we're going to back up just a hot sec to one of his um, professional endeavors in 1819 when he casually decided to run for parliament of course because he's a rich white dude why wouldn't you right right right. did he run a clean campaign no no of course not he paid people to vote for him (gasps) totally not legal yeah he wins anyway and then so then he goes to his first session at parliament got bored and just straight up peaced out wow bye just bounced from parliament that's pretty ballsy and saw him again (laughs) yeah i kind of enjoy this fellow i know he's like kind of fun he's kind of like like the drunk friend that you just keep around because you're like girl you crazy yeah like you know there's always gonna be a fun story yeah they're a hot fucking mess. Yeah. Oh. So um, his drinking and gambling just like continued to escalate as if, you know, riding a bear into a dinner party wasn't enough. So he ended up like bankrupting his whole family. Holy balls. It hasn't even been that long. I know. And so he, <laughs> I mean, he was spending so much money on shit and just like, it was ridiculous. I mean, even the amount that he drank on a regular basis, like, cost so much fucking money. So whatever was left of his estate, he ended up selling. Like, I don't think he ever really dealt with his children or, like, his wives. He was just like, I'm I'm crazy, dude. So (laughs) I've got other shit to do, like running an election and then not giving a fuck about it. And drinking, like, a million bottles of port every day. So he, instead of like dealing with all of this, he's like, you know what? I'm going to flee the country. So he decides to go to this town in France, but he didn't go alone. He met a random young woman named Susan on the Westminster Bridge and was like, yo, want to be my companion for $500 a year? And she was like, sure. Wow. That is... That is something. That's really a transition. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Can you imagine, like, being, like, I, if anyone comes to talk to me, I'm, like, get the fuck away. But if some random dude, he probably looked like a hot mess. And it's like, hey, like, want to be my companion for $500 a year? I'd be like, that's not enough money. Mm -hmm. And I don't know you. Right. Go pass. Right, and I'm just picturing, like, a drunk, drunk, <laughs> with, just, like, like the coats. So, yes, I am, I am seeing him in several layers. Yeah. Uh, 
just stumbling up to a tiny British woman. Yeah. A tiny, like, peasant British woman. She was only, like, 20. Like, yeah, just to know. No. Like, that's that's how you get marked. Yeah, or, like, sex trafficked. Oh, I know they didn't probably have that back in the day, but who knows? Yeah, but she was like, YOLO, let's do this. So she goes with him. Um, at this, wherever he was living, um, he was there with Susan, his friend Charles, who we'll get to, um, and some assistants, which I guess it was like everyone in his like immediate inner circle that was like, we need to make sure he doesn't die. Mm, so, interesting. Um, because he was like drunk all the time, he one day gets a really bad case of the hiccups and like it would not go away. Instead of like trying a spoonful of sugar or like, I don't know, drinking water upside down, like normal hiccup cures, he lights his shirt on fire. Uh huh. It promptly engulfs him in flames. Sure. As it does, because he was wearing like a cotton tunic, as you do. Yeah. And one of his servants and a friend had to, like, beat the fire out. And he... (laughs) Are you sure that they had to beat it out of him? Or they were just like, here's our opportunity! Yeah, I mean, great point. Um, They did, I guess, want to save his life. Marginally. Like, he was paying them at this point. He had no money. Right. So he gets up after being lit on fire Mm -hmm. and then beaten... And he just simply says, the hiccup is gone, by God, and gets into bed and goes to sleep, takes a little nap. Okay. I mean, that's an exciting day. I could see where you'd be like, you know what? I've accomplished enough today. I'm going to, I'm going to put this one in the record books. Yep. Um, uh, So many interesting decisions. So many. So eventually he's like, I got to go back to England. I mean, he could have stayed in France. I don't know what the deal is, but he goes back to England. He gets put in prison because he couldn't afford to pay off his debts. Um, eventually, in 1834, he dies from what they called delirium tremens, mm. which is basically aggressive alcohol withdrawal that causes extreme confusion, hallucination, seizures, other like really terrible things. Um, And there was a quote about his death that's pretty ridiculous. It says, he died round-shouldered, tottering, old young man bloated by drink, worn out by too much foolishness, too much wretchedness, and too much brandy. Oh, what an epitaph. Right? Woo! That's a juicy. We're never going to do anything that lives up to that. Ever like that, putting that on like a tombstone. Oh, uh, hang just, it up, just like chef's kiss. Oh, um, so now we're gonna get into the nickname. Oh, I totally forgot about the fucking nickname. <laughs> fucking crazy. So, his one of his friends, his friend Charles, that I mentioned earlier, who was at this like lighting himself on fire incident, um, his friend Charles James Apperly who wrote under the pen name Nimrod. Oh, wow. I mean, this guy's really got a slate of winners. Like, the docket, like, it is stacked with some real fucking winners. 
I just, oh, I can't. And I like to imagine, like, the fire story as being, like, the final straw for him where he's like, I've got to write a book about this fucking guy. <laughs> like, yeah, this is like, it. This shit is wild. It's lit. Uh, you did it. You did it. Bad pun breakdown. <laughs> that is now a segment on this show. <laughs> um, so, so Nimrod <laughs> eventually publishes in the year 1900. So it took him a while, but he published, this is the title, Memoirs of the Life of the Late John Mitten, Esquire of Halston, Shropshire, with notices of his hunting, shooting, driving, racing, eccentric, and extravagant exploits. That's too long. That's too many words. Did they not have, like, title lengths back then? No, I don't think in 1900. That's half a goddamn book cover. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, and you can, I'll put a link when we do post the episode, because it's public domain, so... Um, I read some of it and it's hysterical. But this is where John Mitten, aka Mad Jack, aka Mango, King of the Pickles, comes from. So here's the excerpt. It was scarcely necessary for me to observe that before he was 10 years old, Master Mitten was as finished a pickle as the fondest mother and his own will could possibly have made him. Indeed, his neighbor, Sir Richard Poulston, with a felicity of expression peculiarly his own, christened him Mango, the King of the Pickles, and he proved his title to honor even the end of his life. I still don't know what it means. Uh... <laughs> There's no information about what a pickle meant back in that time. Urban Dictionary defines it as, like, being a weird individual. So I'm kind of going with that. Okay. Um, and I don't even know if they had mangoes in his town at this point in time. Like, Truth. Like, how, how would they have even known what a mango was? Right. And if they did have mangoes, like, why did you call this kid Mango when he was 10? And, like, that's, like, did he just, like, fucking love mango? Like, there's literally no further information about this at all this is gonna really haunt me i know i've done so much research and it's driving me absolutely insane to the point where i want to light my shirt on fire yeah that that is this fucking guy yeah that fucking guy was bonkers what a fun life a fun life. He gave no fucks. Just no fucks. Just like making it rain everywhere. Riding horse. Doing lots of horse-based pranks. Bears. Just kicking it with bears. That's fucking cool. Like a fleet of goddamn dogs. So many dogs. Too so many. dogs. I still can't wrap my head around that. No, I just see a field. Yeah. Of just... Little bobbing puppy heads. Did have a very large estate, so um, yeah, that's it's quite a quite a tale of good old mango, classic mango, good old classic mango. I mean, it really begs the question: historical eccentrics. Yes, I tend to think of the eccentric as a very modern invention. Yes, apparently 
these are everywhere throughout history. Yeah, he was really ahead of the curve. Yeah, he was honestly a frontiersman in this field. Yeah, a frontiersman just really blazing a path for boozing, handing out money, having fucking rando assistance when you don't have an actual job, question mark. Right? I need a fucking assistant. I would love an assistant. Oh, it would be amazing. Just like do all this shit I don't want to do. Right. But I don't have eccentric level money. Yeah, I guess that's really, I mean, when you're playing with, what did I say? Like 60,000 pounds. Yeah. In 17, in the 1700s, early 1800s. That's like a lot of money. You're balling out of control. You're like, who's somebody really rich right now? You're like Kardashian level rich. Oh, so rich. And just handing out fucking money. And that's, like, without being royalty. So imagine, like, what the royals were doing. Right? That's fucking crazy. That's crazy that, like, a lesser... I don't know. What would you you call the British system? Like, class system? Yeah. Like, a lesser... Not even, like, a duke or anything. Like, a lesser title. I mean, they did call him, like, an like esquire. But, like, I don't know what that fucking means. I thought that meant lawyer. I think it does today. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm glad we sorted that out. <laughs> he definitely was not a lawyer. Yeah, he was straight <laughs> not a lawyer. But he wasn't a lawyer. <laughs> he was not even close. <laughs> oh. Going to work, your new job for one day, and you're like... Mm, nah. Nah. <laughs> just leave? Like, no consequences for this fucking guy. God, I would love that. Oh, that just sounds so freeing. Oh, it makes me want to go get, like, a shitty job tomorrow and then just show up and be like, actually, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm I good. Just decided I don't want to do this. <laughs> so I'm not. Oh, just doesn't that feel good? He's like the old timey version of the guy in office space. Just like <laughs> I'm gonna go kick it with my homies all day. Bye. Yep, gonna go ride a bear. Uh go hunt, fuck some shit up. Dogs. <laughs> I'm really surprised there wasn't more tales of like whoring it up. Yes. Um I don't know how documented that was, though I would have liked to it because i mean probably comes with the territory yeah i mean he did have six kids that we know of he was getting it in i bet he had a lot more probably or maybe he didn't because he was so drunk all the time so like (gasps) good point of his dick work good point fair point he was a straight up functioning alcoholic so that dick probably did not work real well yeah yeah. Gross. And oh, can you imagine how bad he smelled? Ew. Oh yeah. Ew. They were they were big on bathing or hygiene back then. No. Mm. Just coming in from riding bears and fucking <laughs> boozing all day long. Jesus Christ. Ew. Oh. Woo. Mm. No gracias. TM, the worst. Yeah. He sounds like a real fucking class act. Yep. That was Mango. Woo! 
Call me well, your fucking guy. All right. So my fucking guy is T.E. Lawrence, better known as Lawrence of Arabia. Yes. So, uh, so T.E. Lawrence is best known as being uh, having his story told in Lawrence of Arabia, the famous film uh, from the 60s. Great film. But his life is so much more batshit crazy than that movie even can hold. And that movie's like three hours long. It's, it's long as shit. Long. Yes. It's bananas. And they still left shit out. They left out the whole beginning of his life. Everything after that. All a bunch of shit in between. Wild. All right. So. Good old T.E. Lawrence's story begins August 16th, 1888. He was born in Wales. His father, oh, this family is just straight up scandalous. So his dad, who was like a British nobleman, Sir Thomas Chapman. Love it. So British. Absconded away with the family's governess. And T.E. was a product of this. (gasps) Now. What's even more scandalous than that is that the governess that he absconded away with, Sarah Juner, or Junner, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. We're going to go with Junner because there's double ends. Ooh, yeah. Her mama got with the dude she was working with. Oh. He was also like a British nobleman, and she, Sarah, was a product of that. <sighs> So, scandalous, scandalous, scandalous. Ooh. So, I love it. Oh, it's so much scandal. So, just scandal from generation to generation. So, T.E. was born to Sir Thomas Chapman and Sarah Jenner, who have absconded away. So, an ultra-conservative British Victorian society in the late 1800s. T.E. is a bastard. He is entitled to nothing. He can't get anyone to marry him. Like, his prospects are shit. So, um, his parents never married, but uh, they lived under the name of Lawrence because of the guy that her mom banged, John Lawrence. Oh, my God. So, they took that family name of Lawrence. Wild. So, John, uh, his early life was really tumultuous. Like, they moved around a lot. They were, like, constantly moving. And there's no, like, historical record of why they always moved a lot. But I'm going to imagine it's probably because they were, like, straight-up scandalous. Right. Uh, and people would probably find out that they weren't married. And this dude was a nobleman. And this chick was, like, a nanny. Not like, uh, yeah. in my town. Exactly. It's like some scarlet letter shit. Um, so they moved around a lot. They went from Wales to Scotland and then back to England. And they finally landed in Oxford. And that's where uh, Thomas spent kind of like his later teenage years. He went to high school and he went to college there. Um, so 
So Thomas is a strange little fellow. Um, he's like really into like history and archaeology and science. Um, and when he was 15, he and his friend decided to cycle around Oxford and like the towns around where they were documenting monuments and antiquities. Uh, they would do like little rubbings on the like statues and, you know, plaques and shit. Uh-huh. Yeah, normal soups, normal teenager stuff. And then they presented all of their findings at the end of the summer to the art museum in Oxford. And the Oxford Art Museum was just like, thanks, homie, I guess. And they published the report. And in the report, they are cited as two teens who cycled around these towns (laughs) to get these findings. Uh, no, it just says two teens. Uh, I would be so mad, but it's like every woman ever who's done work and not gotten credit for it. Exactly. I was like, mm. I get it. I get it. I get it. I've cycled around enough buildings. Oh my God. Oh, that's just like going to be the new phrase. Like, yep, I cycled and cycled all around Oxford today. That was dumb on their part for one, not asking for credit and two, not getting money for it. Nope, just did it. Just did it on their own. This is a lesson. Don't work for free. No, don't do it. Don't do it. So that's only made better by the fact that they did the exact same thing in France for the next two years. Two years? Well, the next two summers, because they were teenagers. Oh, okay. Sure. Uh, So for the next two summers, they went to France and did the exact same thing and, like, documented antiquities and statues and castles and just wild for, like, a 17-year-old, even in, like, the, you know, early 1900s. Just wild. They just cycled around the fucking country of France and documented old shit. Can you imagine, too, on those old-ass bikes? Oh, my God. And those old-ass roads? Hang that shit up. Ugh. No, it was so goddamn bumpy. And, like, you don't even have a water bottle. You have, like, a cask of... Yeah. Did they even have canteens back then? I don't even know. Or, like, you're... They probably weren't even drinking water. They were pretty pretty drinking some of fucking Mango's port. (laughs) Probably. Just hot sauce. Oh God, you know it's so hot. No helmets. Not not a helmet anywhere in sight. That's gonna come back around towards okay. the end of this story. Good. So after after all that, all that fun cycling around and documenting antiquities, uh, Thomas attends Jesus College. Jesus College. Oh. I know it just sounds very like. Uh, from 1907 to 1910, um, where he did, like, lots of stuff, uh, with, like, like, did lots of studies in archaeology and history. That was really his main area of interest. Uh, so much so that he went on a solitary three-month-long walking tour of castles in Syria, where he traveled over a thousand miles on foot. During his time there. Just a little walkabout. Just a little three-month solo walkabout to random castles from the Crusades in Syria. 
I don't even want to walk to my car. Mm-mm. Nope, I certainly don't want to walk a thousand miles in what is basically a desert. Uh, yeah. In, in Just, the 1900s. Yeah. It's not like they had, like, great shoes. Oh, no. The blisters? Oh, You know that that motherfucker was, like, wandering through the desert in, like, dress shoes. They didn't have hiking boots. No. They didn't have sunscreen. So leathery. So leathery. I can only imagine this. Oh, the sun damage. So much. So, with all of his focus and all of his, like, independent study in antiquities and these, like, castles, um, he published, uh, I'm not published, but he, um, his thesis was on, like, kind of connecting those two things, where it was, like, the effect of um, crusades uh, on um, European architecture, and then from that, he was offered this quasi-scholarship to continue his archaeological studies in Syria. So he heads out to Beirut in 1910, spends some time studying Arabic. Um, He goes to work on, like, excavations and find stuff and, like, publish reports and shit for several years. Now we're getting to the point where shit gets cray. So Thomas has been in in Syria for a couple years, really getting his bearings, getting to know the land, getting to know the people, getting to speak the language. Then World War One breaks out. And the British military forces are not super huge fans of the Turks, who right. also are kicking it in the area. So they come in and they start they start doing some real shady shit. Uh a part of this shady shit becomes our fun hero, T.E. Lawrence. Yes. He is co-opted by the British military to do surveillance, uh, like land surveillance, under the guise of doing archaeological work in 1914. I did not know this. So they sent him out, him and his partner, out to these, like, dig sites and where, like, antiquities and shit have been found. And they are pretending to do, like, fact-finding and reporting. But they're really surveying, like, the best access to water and where someone could attack from. And, like, fucking making maps and shit to then give back to the British military. And straight up spies. But he's like, oh, let me sketch this column. Yeah, let me dust the sand off of this bone. Mmm. <laughs> well, I okay. thought Yeah, wild. Wild shit. So then he had this mentor from his earlier years in Syria when he first got there who um, became... I forget what his rank was, but some high up rank in the British uh, military. And he knew that Thomas had like knew how to speak the language and knew the people and knew the lands really well. So he summoned him, summoned him, just was a bitch. Get over here. Work for the Arab Bureau of Intelligence in Cairo because we need you, homie, because you know some shit. Uh, so this was late 1914 uh, when he starts working for the Brit- the Bureau of Intelligence in Cairo. 
she started getting more cray at this point uh, in in uh, Syria. So, very, very long story short, there's an Arab nationalist movement that's already kind of, like, taking hold in the area. And then you've got, like, the British not being cool with the Turks, also known as the Ottomans. Right. So, these kind of things paired makes this Arab nationalist movement and the British government very good bedfellows. And so, there's this guy who is... um, He is kind of like a governor of an area in Syria. His name is Sharif Hussein. This guy comes in and he's like, hey, I'm an important person in this area. I'm going to get involved in these negotiations between the Brits and the Arabs. Um, And really what they're trying to figure out is like, okay, so we're going to help you, British government, but what do we get in return if we help you and we fight the Turks for you? And so what the Arabs wanted was an independent Arab nation. But good old government, they fucking goddamn take their fucking sweet-ass time to decide anything. So in late 1915, uh, Sharif decides that the Brits are taking way too fucking long to commit, and threatens to just support the Turks. Oh. Because, <laughs> sure, just a 180. Everyone loves a wild 180. Oh, huh? Yeah, just really escalated quickly. And so the Brits are like, oh, JK, it's cool. Um, You can have an independent nation. That's fine. Just take out those pesky Ottomans over there. Okay. A few months later, mid-1916, the Arab Revolt kicks off. Now. This is where T.E. comes back into the picture. So he was sent from uh, the Bureau of Intelligence in Cairo to the Holy Lands to gather intelligence. Just knuckle bones. Just, well, there's no more guys being an archaeologist anymore. He is all up in it. But he has, like, I just think it's really fun to imagine this, like, six-foot-tall, kind of gangly British dude who's, like, a science nerd and has no military experience whatsoever just being, like, thrust up into the middle of this. Like, little glasses. Yeah, and the, the tiniest ones. Tiniest glasses and, like, a vest with, like, a bunch of pockets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's not far from accurate. Right. Um, so he's sent to the Holy Lands to, like, gather intelligence. So he performs a lot of interviews, talks to a lot of people, and he ends up interviewing Sharif's three sons. And he's doing that because the British government wants to determine which one of them would be best to lead the Arab revolt. Oh. So based on Thomas's intelligence, they determine that Faisal is the best candidate to lead the uprising. He was instrumental in deciding who was going to lead an Arab uprising in the Middle East, which is insane. Like, this one person. Like, some chit-chats. Yeah, insane. And then they end up becoming, like, real close allies. So not only did this, like, gangly science nerd from fucking Oxford, or actually he's from Wales, contribute to, like, intelligence and military strategy but this motherfucker no military training whatsoever got involved in many military engagements through 1917 and 1918 which is bonkers to me 
Like, he's out there fighting in sand dunes. And he's like, sup? Zero military experience. None. None to talk of. Nobody even was like, oh, let's give him, like, some basic safety training. I mean, possibly at some point it was a, you know, Jon Snow stick him with the pointy end kind of thing. But I'm going to imagine that that's about it. Um, So all of this, like, intelligence and military strategy and, like, actually doing fighting and, like, being so involved in all of the goings-on between the Arabs and the Brits, this earns our sweet T.E. Lawrence a bounty on his head from the Turks. Oh, no. Of... 20,000 pounds, which is equivalent to $2 million. Oh my God, that's so much money. It's so many monies. And he just keeps doing shit. So TE is so involved in all this, and he's real close with uh, Faisal, who's leading the revolt, and they've had all these successful uh, battles, and they've won all this shit. T gets a little cocky. Mm. He gets, he gets a little cocky. T gets a little cocky. So in November 1917, T heads out to this place in southwestern Syria called Dara'a okay. uh, to do some scouting and some surveying. He gets recognized and uh, gets... Oh, that looks like that guy that has a $2 million bounty on his head. Right. They're like, he looks white and British. It's probably him. So he gets captured by the Turks. Okay. Um, and in this time, so this is completely left out of the movie. It just kind of weirdly transitions and there's not a whole lot of talk on it. But at this time, while he was captured by the Ottomans, he was beaten and sexually abused. Oh, no. And in his memoir, which we'll also get to later, many, many years later, he wrote that in Dara'a that night, the citadel of my integrity had been irrevocably lost. Oh, yeah. So, um, so he's released back, uh, to the Arabs and goes back to kick it with them and tell them what happened. A lot of people speculate that after this point, T.E. lost his motherfucking mind after being beaten and tortured and sexually abused, uh, and kind of had a baby bit of a death wish. Okay. Um, you know what? Fuck it. Yes. So this motherfucker really leans in hard uh, in the whole military engagements part, like starts leading battles and all kinds of wild shit. But what happens in this time is we're kind of getting towards the end of the war. Uh, so the fall of Damascus happens, which is like a, uh is written into this treaty that that is the point at which the Brits will call that the Arabs have won the war and that they get to be an independent nation if they can take Damascus. So that happens. And uh, T. Lawrence was heavily, heavily involved in the buildup to the capture of Damascus with like winning all these battles and like doing all kinds of wild shit and fucking espionage and intelligence gathering but he wasn't actually there for the actual fall of the city and it was something he would go on to regret for his entire life uh but he uh after that helped to establish a provisional government under faisal and that was one of his dreams since he had become so connected to this area that he wanted to see an independent arab nation come to pass uh it would fail Quite quickly after that, 
but not the point. Now we're heading into T's post-war life. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> this motherfucker. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what to do with myself now. Essentially, yes. So after the war, he returns home to England, a full-fledged colonel. And he ends up working for the foreign office. And it's mainly like paperwork and bullshit. Uh, he hates it. Uh But, so in 1919, he ends up boarding a plane to go back to Egypt to just kind of, like, hang out and kick it. The plane crashes. No. He survives with just a broken shoulder and two broken ribs. The pilot and co-pilot died. Oh, my God. This is literally, like, less than a year after he gets back from... He should have been dead so many times during the war. So many times. There's so many battles that I couldn't even fit in this. I'm just telling you story. There in battle, like, what, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, insane. He's like riding camels and shit, like fucking swinging swords, and it's just this skinny dude from England. It's wild experience. Zero, none. He is not military trained. He was an archaeologist. Some Indiana Jones shit. So plane crashes, he survives, bailing co-pilot dead. Insane. This man cannot die. So um, after this point, uh, we're heading into like 1920. So there was this guy, Lowell Thomas, who had visited Jerusalem while T.E. was there in like either 1917 or 1918. And he was a journalist and a broadcaster. So he ended up taking like lots of photographs and moving pictures. Oh, moving pictures uh, (laughs) of stuff that was happening there and knew it would be like really sensationalized back in America and in England. So he brought the story back with him to uh, America and started touring with this photo show that was all about the Arab Revolt. And highly featured in that is, ding, 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 this six-foot-tall, skinny, gangly British man in, like, full-on robes and looking like a Bedouin fighter. And so he becomes, out of that, like, a household name. His story is, like, everywhere. And that's how he becomes Lawrence of Arabia. Ah, uh, is uh, in this guy's photo show. That was what he changed the headline of it several times. But one of them was the Arab revolt and Lawrence of Arabia. Um, so this guy really like publicized his story. Right. So he gets super, super famous, hates it, doesn't want anything to do with it. I just um, Awesome fucking columns. Yeah, he's crazy. So at this time after the war, now he's like becomes a household name. He's crazy everywhere. Everyone knows who he is. He hates it. He ends up also writing a memoir about his time in the war. Um, it takes a great, great toll on him because he's relying on all these, like, cre- he took, like, extensive notes during the war, but after he put together the first drafts of the novel, he got rid of all of them and then went back to it and was having to do stuff from memory. Mm-hmm. And I- it was just like, yeah, I get it. It's the worst. I throw away shit all the time that I should probably not throw away. And then I'm like, holy fuck, why did I put that? Diego. Oh, why did I put that in the trash and then empty the trash on my Mac? That was so dumb. Uh, so the memoir was, I think, released in like 
1926 is eventually when it's released, but... Funny is. Yeah, that's one Earth. Uh, so, but all of the time, like, reliving his stuff from the war and trying to put together this book and get it published, and then he couldn't find a job that he liked. He thought they were all boring and bullshit. He was... So this is like mid-1922 now. So he is in a state of severe mental turmoil. All of the shit that happened to him in the war and the book and all this other stuff. And then like being perceived as this national hero when he was like, I was just doing my drizzle. Like I wasn't trying to do nothing. Um, So at this time, uh, T.E. goes, fuck your colonel status, ditches it. And goes and tries to enlist in the Royal Air Force under a false name. No. As just a reg-ass aircraftsman. That went well, I'm sure. (laughs) So they discover that he, like six months later, who he actually is, he's ousted because they're like, No. You're Lawrence of Arabia. You enlisted under a false name. That's sort of illegal. But we're going to let this one slide and you just got to bounce. So then, undeterred. This motherfucker goes and changes his legal name to T.E. Shaw no. and enrolls in the Royal Tank Corps. Oh, okay. In 1923. All the different branches. So many. He was like, you won't take me. That's cool. I'm going to change my name and go over here. Uh, so he enlists in the Royal Tank Corps. He does that for a little bit, but he doesn't like it. So he, in the time that he's enlisted in the Royal Tank, <laughs> the Royal Tank Corps, he is possessed petitioning the royal air force like hey you guys let me in 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 my god he is wild so after almost two years of this they're like holy fuck okay just stop mailing us shit it's fine you're in the air force we don't give a shit reverse hogwarts letter Yes. So he is now in the Royal Air Force after two years of petitioning them to let him in. Oh, my God. He cried. So now we're up to his book being published. Okay. So there's like another big publicity boom from his book being published uh, because he kind of like retreated from the public eye in the intervening years between like the traveling photo show and now. So there's all this huge uproar about him again. The publicity was so crazy that the Royal Air Force reassigned him to what is now Pakistan uh, in t- <laughs> for like years. They were like, buddy, you got to go. Like you're causing too much shit. Yeah. So they, they send him over there and he's super happy because like that's his place. He loves it. He loves being in the Middle East. That's his jam. So he kicks it there until um, 1928. Then he comes back to England uh, and continued serving in the Air Force until like his enlistment ends. I don't know how that works. I don't know shit about the military uh, in 1935. Okay. So remember the thing about helmets from earlier? Right, right, right. Um, two months, two months after his enlistment with the RAF ends, he got big into motorcycles, loved motorcycles, had a ton of them. So he heads out two months after his enlistment ends to ride his motorcycle on a lovely stroll down the country lanes. On some, like, bumpy-ass road. On some bumpy-ass British unkempt roads. So he's riding along, riding along, 
And there's a dip in the road that obstructs his view of on the other side, there are two boys riding their bicycles. So once he comes up out of this dip, he sees these boys, swerves to avoid them, and ends up losing control of his motorcycle and going over the handlebars. Fatally injured, dies six days later. Oh my god. Dies six days later on May 19th, 1935. So he even died being awesome. That's some like evil can evil type shit. Also, did not know that there were motorcycles back then. Yeah, there apparently were. I guarantee you they were death machines. Obviously so. Clearly. Clearly. No helmet laws. He just... Oh, those poor kids, I bet, were so traumatized. Oh, God, you know that. You know that they were. So T.E. leaves behind quite a legacy. He never married. He never had children. Um, There's a lot of speculation even about his sexuality with some people thinking that he was possibly gay or asexual. Um, But he was fabulous. He was a fantastic man. But there is considerable evidence that points to the fact that he was probably a masochist and that he wrote in his descriptions of that night in Dara when he was tortured that (laughs) the beating was, this is going to get weird. I'm just going to put the warning right here. Trigger warning. This is going to get weird. Uh, That it was, quote, a delicious warmth, probably sexual, was swelling through me. And he also included a very detailed description of the guard's whip in a style that is typical of masochists' writing. Mm. And there is rumors that he paid men to beat him in later years. That is some serious PTSD. Yes, So, those facts aside, T.E. led a fucking bonkers life, like, came from nothing in Wales, and, like, just on the basis of his smarts of archaeology and history, like, became super vital to this crazy uprising in fucking Syria. Um, And he is so revered uh, that there is a bust of him uh, in the crypt of St. Paul Els Cathedral alongside Britain's greatest military leaders. Um, One of the houses, one of the four houses, which is so Hogwarts to say, and I love it. Say Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, Slytherin. Yes. Yes. So one of the houses at uh, this, his high school is now named Lawrence in his honor. And then, of course, there is the epic award-winning 1962 film for which Peter O'Toole won a Best Actor Oscar for even portraying him awesome. in a very short span of time. This fucking guy is wild. Uh, there is so much that I couldn't even cover. If you want to read more, just T.E. Lawrence in the Google machine you're going to be going down a rabbit hole. That was uh, so good. It's like the movie does not even do justice to the epicness of this man's life. And that movie is epic as hell. And so long. So fucking long. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to have so, to read more about him. That I didn't know any of that except for like that he did stuff in the Middle East. Yeah. 
And like most people I found out, uh, did not even think he was a real person. They thought it was just a movie. <laughs> and I was like, not only is he real, but he was fucking awesome. He was straight up cray. That is so crazy. Yes. Just goes to show you that if you can dream it, you can do it. You can do it. That guy, he was like, you know what? I like looking at archways and buildings and shit. Wow. And then, you know, also kind of points to like what degree you have doesn't really apply. It doesn't fucking matter. You could get co-opted by the British military. (laughs) You don't know. (laughs) Shit is crazy. So yeah, T.E. Olarts, super interesting dude. He pestered the Royal Air Force so hard that they were like, okay, fine. Yeah. And like the fact that he took his colonel status and was like, nah, fuck that shit. I'm starting from the bottom, now we here. (laughs) <laughs> I was like what the the hubris of this man is incredible the last thing I want to do is start over on something so <laughs> to do that after you like I don't know helped establish a country fought in several wars with no experience I literally I'd rather light myself on fire like fucking mango then be yes. like, I'm going to start from scratch on this one. What? Yeah. Just fucking crazy. Super interesting dude. Well. Whew. Yeah. What an epic tale of two fucking guys. Fucking guys. Oh, man. This was a good, this was a good one. I'm really excited for this podcast, for our continued friendship. Oh, yes, of course. We, by the time this episode is published on the podcast ether, sure, cloud, I don't know, on the interwebs, on the is inter- that how do we put it in the tubes? It on the line, it goes on the Wait, line, it goes on the line, yes, great, uh-huh. great, great, great. We will have some social, so we'll dub that in, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it goes here, boop, boop, we'll fix it in post. We're going to have an email so you can send us ideas or if you have a tale of some fucking guy, we want to know. We want this to be, we want to talk about all kinds of fucking guys, like all sorts of crazy motherfuckers. Fucking ladies, fucking children, fucking dogs, whatever. Oh my God. Like a Cujo episode. Uh, Do you know who Sergeant Stubbs is? No. Oh, my God. Okay, we got to do an episode on Sergeant Stubbs. Okay. He is the most decorated military dog in history. Oh, my God. He's love. a goddamn angel. We'll That's going to be next time. Oh, I love it. So that's a wrap on this fucking guy, E1. We did it. The hey. fucking guy. Hi. Hey, hey, oh, no one can see this, but we're doing it. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. Until um, next time, guys. We'll come up with a tagline eventually. Go, go be this fucking guy. Or don't. That doesn't work. Don't. That doesn't work. I don't, don't like it. Be, be your own fucking guy. <gasps> there it is. There, you fucking nailed it. <laughs> yes. Till next time.
be your own fucking guy. That's it. That that felt good. Did it feel good? It felt real good. Yeah. It felt like like warm. Ooh, like sexual whip of. Oh no! That's a terrible (laughs) way to end this. Hey, so we wanted to give you a little update on our social accounts. So you can follow us on Instagram at thisfuckingguypod. Uh, you can also email us at thisfuckingguypod at gmail, but remove the U from fucking. So T-H-I-S-F-C-K-I-N-G-G-U-Y-Pod at gmail.com that's where you can send us stories uh requests maybe you have a wacko relative that is this fucking guy material um we'll also be adding twitter and facebook so when we have those channels up we'll let you know and uh everything will be linked in the episode descriptions so thanks for listening and we will hear from you hopefully see you guys next week